Hello and welcome to the UK Wildlife Podcast with me, Neil Phillips. And me, Victoria Hillman. How you doing, Vic? Yeah, um, I'm still here, Neil. I'm, I'm still here. How about you? How are you doing? Yeah, hanging on in there. Uh, you're yeah. probably here. I'm a bit blocked up with hay fever, so it's not me putting on a sexy voice. <laughs> <laughs> or trying to put on a sexy voice, it would probably be more accurate, wouldn't it? You were just jealous of my sexy voice oh, attempts yeah. last year, weren't you, Neil? I can't top your sexy voice, I'm afraid. But anyway... <laughs> Let's move swiftly on <laughs> before we lose any new listeners, before we even get started. <laughs> so we'll start with the recent sightings. Ladies first, Vic. Um, what have I seen? Um, saw my first male orange tip butterflies um, at the weekend. Yep, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it's a really, I really can, poor showing. I can match the orange tip. I've had orange tips. I've been largely confined to my house for reasons I won't bore you with. But I have popped around the corner and I've been filming bee flies and looking at adders. And as some of you have probably seen on Twitter, I spotted the Ashley Whiffin in a wild, which was uh, nice to finally catch up with her face to face. And I did try to convince her to come to Bird Fair, Vic, but uh, I think she was busy that weekend, unfortunately. So oh, that's a shame. We'll have to go up and see her in Scotland at some point. I think. We will. Yeah. Road trip. And I did get out today. And I went to Rayna Marshes with the family, and there was three hobbies flying around, which was quite nice. And my first sightings of swifts. I heard some yesterday in the garden. But yeah, I've actually seen them, so that was quite nice. A big old flock of them. At least ten, I'd say. So that was a pretty good going. And my first marsh frog pick. Just one, hiding in the reeds. Loads calling, deafening with them all, but... Uh... Oh, I do. I did. I was just trying to sort my garden out a little bit, and I did come across a frog the other day, Saturday, and... I think, so regular listeners to the show will probably remember me saying that I had not one but two grass snakes in the garden last year, a bigger one and a little tiddly one that was um, by the pond. And I'm pretty sure that little tiddly one is still there because something is moving underneath the lining of the pond and it's definitely not a frog and it sounds a bit snaky. Now, I've not seen it popped out yet, but we've not had a lot of warm, sunny weather. It's been really nice today and the next few days are supposed to be nice, so... I will keep an eye out and see, because I'm curious to see what it is, but I obviously don't want to start lifting everything up and digging out around it, because I can't, quite frankly. Um, there's a big old log on top of it as well, so we shall have to see. And I can't believe, I completely forgot to mention, that my red mason bee colony has woken up. There were swarms of them yesterday. It's brilliant. I've got a, little, a big bee hotel for those that don't know. I've, oh, there must be hundreds in it, L- lots of bits of bamboo and logs with holes in and they all nest in there. It's little solitary bees. So yeah, go Google red mason bee. We need to do an episode on them. I just realised that. Yeah. Yeah. Next I've year. I've seen a couple of big, big white-tailed bumblebees in the garden, actually, last couple of days as well. And a lot of ants. Mm. I have so many ants in the garden. And the giant knapweed is coming back. Everyone will be pleased to know. My monster knapweed oh, is returning. monster knapweed. Monster knapweed. See what height it gets to this year. <laughs> knapweed trifiditis. Yes, it definitely is. I mean, I think it, it reached well over five foot last year. Thanks. Right, we're going to move on and we're going to start with the news. And as yet another tradition, I think, that's unofficially come up, we're going to start with the less positive. <laughs> and of course, I'm going to read it out because it's going to get a bit ranty, I think. We're going to start off with, I might as well just like put myself on repeat, Hen Harriers being killed. Well, sorry, not being killed. Going missing in suspicious circumstances. Five hen harriers tagged in the Natural England Brood Management Trial 
have gone missing over or near grouse moors. And this was quietly published on Natural England's website. It was with no fanfare for some reason. So for those that don't know, the Brood Management Trial is a partnership project between the Moorland Association, the International Centre of Birds of Prey, Natural England and the Game and Wildlife Conservation Trust, who we've mentioned before, and the Hawk and Owl Trust. In the scheme, basically, if two hen harriers nest too close together, one of these will have its chicks removed and they're reared in captivity. This is so it reduces predation pressure uh, on the red grouse on the moor they've nested on. The idea is that it then sort of placates the grouse moor owners and they then won't go around illegally killing hen harriers, you know, stuff that's against the law. As someone once put it, it's like placating a car thief by giving them cars and expecting them not to steal any more cars. Yeah, it's working about as well as many people have predicted. This scheme has been nicknamed by a number of conservationists as the Brood Meddling Scheme. Now, if you go back a few years, sort of around 2016-17, when this is all being proposed, the RS would be pulled out of this partnership. The whole idea of the partnership was to try and increase the numbers of hen harriers, which had gone down to four or five pairs. In fact, one year there was zero breeding pairs. And the RS would be objected because they're saying, well, we're talking about removing one nest that's too close to the other, and there's only a handful in the whole country. So how's the scheme going? Well, since 2018, when it started, 82 hen harriers have been confirmed as missing or dead in suspicious circumstances, almost all of them near grouse moors, unsurprisingly. We've got a few more breeding pairs, but it doesn't matter how many got breeding, if they're all getting, well, not all, but a lot of them are getting shot. And, uh, the whole thing's a complete massive mess of Natural England's making, so well done, Natural England. Round of applause. That's <laughs> the most sarcastic I've been on this show, I think, ever. <laughs> but moving on from the game industry, here's a case of a, a solitary farmer. So we've got to be careful not to generalise all farmers here. The farmer recently was jailed for 12 months for destroying nearly a mile of the River Lug, which is an SSSI, back in 2020. Now, he claimed it was for flood prevention and to help the villagers downstream. And he also claimed he had permission from a local parish councillor and an environment agency official. And when he was being threatened with court action, he said he would pull the authorities apart if taken to court. Now, it turned out that he'd used a bulldozer to reprofile the river. Yes, I said that right, a bulldozer. He took out all the bankside vegetation, took out loads of trees. In the end, he pleaded guilty to the charges, but he did plead not guilty to start with. This was done in an SSSI without any permission, and he caused £600,000 worth of damage. And to quote the judge in the case, he said he had turned a traditional tree-lined meandering river full of wildlife into a canal void of most life. It is nothing short of ecological vandalism on an industrial scale. He seems to adopt the attitude that the rules do not apply to him. And the reason he said that is because he had a track record of disregarding rules that goes all the way back to 1998, when he started by dumping rubble against a riverbank and claiming it was flood defences. And then in the next couple of decades, he <laughs> basically carried on doing what the heck he liked. Uh, ten tonnes of gravel removed from the river. Um, he actually got prosecuted before. He blocked a tributary that flowed into the river to keep his potato crop watered. And that caused the river lug to dry up for nearly a mile downstream. And even in 2020, so just before he did all this work, he was warned he was ignoring the buffer zones by planting right up to the bank. So they meant to leave a gap of vegetation to stop all the soil washing away. 
But you've got some more positive news, haven't you, Vic? Yeah, let's start with bitterns and the news that last year was actually a really good year for bitterns with 228 males counted booming across the UK. Although this is the same as 2021, it's up from the 11 booming males back in 1997. But there are actually new sites which they've kind of moved to now, including RSPB Saltholme on Teesside, which is now the most northerly breeding site in the UK. The Environment Secretary, Theresa Kofi, has ruled out ever introducing lynx or wolf to England, which led to NFU Scotland to demand the Scottish Government do the same. Now, this comment was originally made to the National Farmers Union National Conference, so I'm sure that had nothing to do with her trying to drum up rural support or anything. Now, the reason she gave for not introducing lynx is because when she was in, you know, being an MP in Suffolk, she was worried how farmers, you know, were feeling about the white-tailed sea eagle, the reintroduction plan to East Anglia. And then she doubled down and said, we need to concentrate on habitat restoration, which would probably have a bit more weight if she'd actually done, you know, anything <laughs> at all to help that. But Vic's got some more positive news, thankfully. Yep, we've got an interesting sighting. This is Thomas Pacman and his colleagues at Mutiny Divers saw a humpback whale in the water while they were exploring a shipwreck in the English Channel. He said it was rolling around on the surface and just looked like it was having a good time, really. It came right up next to the boat and rolled over. It was slashing its tail on the water for a good five or ten minutes. So, I mean, they're not a, that common sighting around UK waters, really, are they? So, you know, that's, that's a pretty cool sighting. Yeah, especially in that end of the English Channel and North Sea. I don't think we get that many humpbacks. I think there's a few sightings off Yorkshire each year, maybe. I think it is where they've seen them, but... Yeah, it's a good sight, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of few and far between. And yeah, so. And I've awesome. moaned far too much in this episode already, so I'm going to do a positive story next, which is <laughs> one that was quite nice to see. I remember many years ago chatting to a good friend of mine called Richard, and he said, Do you know we used to have rainforests in the UK? And I laughed in his face. And then he explained to me, Oh, yeah, they're temperate rainforests like you get in North America type places. So, But then apparently a lot of people have found out in the last year, there's the new book out. But it seems to have worked, that book, because the Wildlife Trust have got a £38 million donation to start restoring our British rainforests. So they used to stretch pretty much all the way along the western coast of the UK, Scotland, Cornwall, Devon, Wales, all along there, really. And we've been, you know, the efficient humans that we are. We've wiped out almost all of it. But now we're trying to restore it. And the restoration is going to start on the Isle of Man and North Wales, so this is a scheme that's going to be working with locals, trying to bring in jobs, uh, you know, lots of engagement, lots of education, and hopefully we'll end up in, well, it should say hopefully, it will end up with some much richer habitats, cleaner air, and reduced flooding, because, you know, tree planting always helps with flooding. And best of all, they're not just using tree planting, they're going to use a bit of natural regeneration, which is always good to see. Natural regeneration is where basically you reduce the grazing and don't cut it, and the trees come back on their own after the scrub comes up. So that's a very simplified way of putting it, but that is the basics of natural regeneration, which is fantastic stuff and seems to be used more and more now, but not enough. Too much of these trees in plastic tubes everywhere, which are not bad all the time, but they have their place. Sometimes you need a bit of natural regeneration. But I think we're going to move on to the main topic of this episode. But I think we should, yeah, step away from yeah. the news. This episode's going to be, I'm saying it's all about orchids, but we're going to kind of do a brief introduction and a little bit about the reproduction, etc. And then just touch on three of our 
probably more common orchids that we have here in the UK. So I'm going to kick off with a basic introduction to orchids, really. I think there's kind of no surprise. I, I do love my orchids. I think they're absolutely fascinating. And I don't think we've actually done one on orchids no, yet. No, I don't think we, we, we... I think basically every summer we go, oh, I do orchids this year. And we haven't in the last three. Yeah. So here it is. Here is the first of... Probably will be a couple of episodes over the kind of future on orchids. So orchids are one of the largest and most diverse families of flowering plants with over 28,000 described species. That's worldwide, not in the UK. Um, And they're actually one of the oldest flowers in existence with genetic sequencing indicating that they may have arisen around 76 to 84 million years ago, if not earlier. And they're flowers that hold a great fascination and love for so many. And one explanation for this may be that they have bilateral symmetry similar to that of a human face. But what about here at home in Britain? So we have around, it's between about 52 and 57 species. This actually varies depending on classification and hybrid. So we have a lot of natural hybrids that occur as well. And you can often find several species growing at the same site. Some are surprisingly common and others are rare, being found only in a handful of very select locations. So the main flowering season runs between April and June. Generally speaking, it does seem to be fluctuating a little bit, obviously with climate change, etc. But some species do flower later in the summer, so something like autumn ladies' tresses actually flowers around August time. They can actually be found in a variety of habitats, from woodlands to grasslands to disused sites and quarries. So there's a lot of scope for them to grow here in the UK. And there is something about orchids that attracts the attention beyond that of other wildflowers, with people travelling long distances to see certain species. But unfortunately, they're not always careful, and sadly... I know I've seen firsthand the damage that's been done, and I'm sure you have as well, Neil, by quite often careless photographers in search of getting a perfect shot of a specific species. And also, unfortunately, there's actually people that still dig them up to take them home to try to either cultivate them in their own garden or actually sell them. And there's actually quite an interesting black market for, for orchids out there. For this reason, some of our rarest orchids have actually now very kind of closely guarded secrets with some of them actually having a lot more protection. The majority of our orchids are actually protected under Section 13 of the Wildlife and Countryside Act. And I I have seen people actually dig up bee orchids, common spotted orchids, to try and grow them in their own garden. And there's a good reason why they won't survive. And I'm actually going to come on to that one, talk about the reproduction of them. Now, I'm lucky that I do have a bee orchid that grows in my front garden. It popped up. I didn't plant it. It just came of its own accord. And I have had a common spotted orchid, but I've not seen any sign of that so far this year. When people do dig them up to take them, they, they always kind of, they're surprised when they don't survive and they, they don't grow. And that's actually really down to their reproduction. The reproduction of orchids occurs in a variety of ways. Many are actually pollinated by insects, which are attracted by the flowers, the shape, colour, smell, and even mimicry. And others reproduce by producing plantless or offshoots from one of the nodes along the stem. Now, although orchids can produce a huge number of very small seeds which are dispersed by wind, they need to land somewhere where the light, moisture and warmth are ideal for that species. In addition to ideal conditions, the seeds need to be infected with a mycorrhizal fungus from the soil if they're to survive, as the seeds themselves do not possess the natural reservoirs of food, or endosperm, that most plant seeds are endowed with. 
So the germination of seeds depends entirely on orchid mycorrhizae, which infect the seeds and supply the nutrition required for germination. This symbiosis can be species specific, which is why some species have such small and very specific ranges. And once the plants grow leaves, they're actually able to produce energy to continue growing through photosynthesis. And although this is true for the majority of species, there are some that lack chlorophyll and remain dependent on the relationship with the fungus through their whole life. So as well as being really beautiful plants, they have these incredible kind of life cycles and, and symbiotic relationships. We thought we'd kind of share some info on three of our most common species. And I think you're going to kick us off with that, aren't you, Neil? Yeah, I'm going to start off with the green-winged orchid. Now, this is a species of damp to dry, unimproved grassland on a base-poor to base-rich soils. And it flowers from April to June, so it's one of the earlier species flowering. The flowers vary in form from white to deep purple and have a distinctive green line on the outer tepals, which is a key identification feature. It's found throughout most of England, but it's absent from much of northern England and is very rare in Scotland. It is thinly scattered along the Welsh coastline and widespread but localised in central and southwest Ireland. The greenwind orchid grows to around 7 to 15 centimetres in height. This small orchid has unspotted leaves and a spike with well-spaced flowers. Flower colour varies from whitish to pink to purple, but most are purple in colour. The lip is free-lobed and the three sepals and upper two petals have green lines running lengthways. The green-winged orchids is pollinated by bees, especially bumblebees. Because they're actually flowering now. I've seen a lot of posts recently. So the, the green-winged orchid, their kind of peak flowering season actually is now. So if you have a site, yeah. you know, go out and, and have a look for them. I've seen a lot of variations in colour this year from people as well. It seems to be a good year for colour variations. So our next orchid is the common spotted orchid and this is our most common and widespread orchid as the name suggests. It can be found in a variety of habitats including woodland, dry grassland, wet meadows, marshes, dune slags as well as human-made habitats such as industrial waste tips, road verges, railway embankments and even gardens. The common spotted orchid grows to 15 to 50 centimetres in height. The flower spike is pyramidal to cylindrical with between 20 to 70 flowers. The flowers are various shades of pale pink to purplish pink and occasionally white. The lip is divided into three equal lobes and marked with a pattern of dark pink dashes and broken lines. The flowers are slightly scented, but in common with other species in their genus, they don't produce nectar and it's likely to be pollinated by a variety of insects and in particular day flying moths and I know I've seen a lot of certainly around here when they've reached their peak flowering I've seen a lot of kind of day flying moths on them and flitting between them it's quite interesting I mean that's probably one orchid that will be relatively easy to find and you do just find them on road verges and, and that it's probably one of the most common ones that will pop up in a garden as well yeah, quite often we just get one type of orchid. It's usually just a common spot that comes mm. up, isn't it? Or occasionally with a pyramidal, but that's for another episode. Yeah. Now, through bad organising, I've ended up doing bee orchid. <laughs> <laughs> so the bee orchid is an unmistakable flower. If you picture a British orchid in your head, it's almost always going to be that, especially if you're not a botanically minded person. I think they're overrated personally. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they're a species of dry chalk and limestone grasslands calcareous dunes but frequently on roadsides and industrial waste ground as well and frequently disused quarries and occasionally gardens for some lucky what's it's no idea what you're <laughs> talking about Neil. 
The name comes from its mimicry of its main pollinator, which is a species of solitary bee, and this is thought to have driven the evolution of the flower itself. Bee orchids range from 10 to 30 centimetres in height, with a flower spike possessing several, maybe up to 10 relatively large flowers. The wing-like sepals are pink, two strat-shaped petals form the bee antennae, and the rounded tip with furry lobes is maroon to purplish-brown, with an irregular grey and pale yellow markings. That said, the species of bee it mimics doesn't actually occur in the UK, so our bee orchids self-pollinate. Some years there can be large numbers of bee orchids, and then other years it completely disappears. This is because once it germinates, the seed can take six to ten years to flower. So we thought we'd just give you a bit of a brief introduction and cover three of our most common species. And as I said, green wing orchids are actually flowering now. Early purple orchids also flowering now. I've seen reports certainly in this area. You should be able to find the rosettes of bee orchids. They'll be out and about for sure. I know like there is one in the front garden. It's only small, but it's there. So if you're out and about, have a look and let us know what you find. One good thing about orchids is where you find them, most places advertise the fact they're there. As long as it's not rare and in danger of being stolen. Yeah, they usually uh, publicise it, so you can usually find them quite easily. I would just say that if you do find any rare ones or anything, please don't put the sites on social media because there are still people out there that will go and dig them up. Orchid hunting is still alive and kicking in the UK. So I try not to put any exact sites on social media anyway for that reason. Yeah, just think before you post locations or publicly share locations. Before we go, we've got a few reviews and thank yous to give out. So we've had a few reviews on Apple. And if you want to help out the podcast, please do go on Apple and give us a five-star review. It does help people discover the podcast. First one was from Essex Birder, and they said, Green is cool. Another great episode in your ever-expanding list. Like the content as I did the same during the lockdown. Plants are good, and Mr. D is good to listen to and knowledgeable. Yeah, thanks for that. We've got another one from Fegamorph. Great variety. As someone who's never studied any form of biology at university... I love hearing the range of topics from springtails to basking sharks, celadines to fungi. Keep it up. So thank you very much for that. We've had some uh, Buy Me A Coffees come in. So for those who don't know, we have a Buy Me A Coffee account. You can find it through the website. And I think if you go on Buy Me A Coffee website and search for UK Wildlife Podcast, we come up as well. Jasmine has become a member. So she's our third member. So members do get a few benefits, which we'll come to in a bit. And she wrote, I'm so glad this podcast exists. By the way, I really enjoyed the episodes you did a while ago on how the government policy is harming wildlife and our environment. I seem to recall you offering a mild apology for focusing on political developments, but I thought it was great, and it isn't something you hear about elsewhere. I know things like this are dependent on money, but I would love to hear episodes recorded in the field with a nice mic so listeners can hear nearby birdsong, etc. Cheers, keep up the great work, Jasmine. Well, you're a paying member now, Jasmine, so I do feel obliged to at least try and do an episode like that. So uh... <laughs> We have got some plans to maybe try and do a few in-the-field ones, but yeah, there's a few personal issues that are getting in the way of that right now. We will probably do one where we're both in the field together, so that would be uh, quite good. Yep. And when you say personal issues, don't worry, we don't hate each other. <laughs> no, we haven't thought now, don't worry. <laughs> We've just got our own things going, going on in our personal lives that are just kind of preventing that from happening at the moment. Oh, God, yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and we've also got someone who's just put the name as someone bought us a coffee. So thanks to you, whoever you are, mystery person. Someone. <laughs> we've had one from Rosie Shepherd as well. So thank you, Rosie. Hello, I've recently started taking steps to change my career to do something in the ecology world. 
Last month I found your podcast and it has been so helpful to learn about British wildlife. All of your talks are fascinating and I especially love Doug Allen talk. Still making my way through all the episodes and loving every minute. And that's just reminded me of a really amazing sighting that I completely forgot to mention right at the beginning. I saw an otter. Oh yeah. Um, I actually messaged Neil about the thing when it happened. I had to pop into town, so into Froome, to collect or pick up some art supplies for some work that I'm just embarking on. And I thought, you know, I'll walk into town, I'm going to take the car. Walking back along the river Froome and saw some people just standing there staring at the river. So I, you know, had a look to see what they were looking at. And lo and behold, there's an otter just swimming around, catching some stuff, chilling out a little bit, just... And this must have been about half past 10, 11 o'clock in the morning as well. And it was just absolutely amazing. Like, I know that we, we have otters in the river room. I have seen them before, but never like that. Just on the outskirts of town. And it was so lovely to actually see everyone just standing there, just quietly, peacefully enjoying, you know, watching this otter just do his thing. So there we go. I completely forgot to mention it in the sightings at the beginning. So here it is at the end instead. And someone bought us free coffees, another anonymous tipper i suppose <laughs> <laughs> isn't it and they, they wrote absolutely amazing natalie walsh has bought us a coffee thank you uh, thank you natalie so much they all do really really help and i may have read this one out before medard bought us seven coffees so it's worth reading that twice if we did <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys for all the effort i found your podcast on spotify when i was looking for tips for wildlife photography and what gold i found i went back to the first episode and listened to every one of them very informative funny Sometimes a bit sad and makes me angry when I hear the wildlife news, but important and people have to know these things. Hard to choose which one of the episodes was my favourite. Wish you guys the best. Well, thank you very much for the seven coffees, my dad. Yes. Much appreciated. Thank you so much. And we do have a shout out as well for this episode. And it's a shout out to Save Warren Farm Crew on Instagram. Thank you so much for your message and kind words. So. Hey guys, hope you're doing well. We will check you out. And don't forget, if you do want to want to shout out or you've got any questions, you can get in touch with us through our social media channels and we're happy to give you a shout out. Not a problem at all. And if you've got any questions you'd like answering as well, you can always pop those on and we'll do some research and get some answers out. Forthcoming episodes as well. And I've got another shout out, which was, I just remembered about, I've quickly looked up, uh, Andrew Armstrong, who I met at Fursley Common a couple of years ago, trying to photograph that Colin the Cuckoo, who didn't show up, but we did get some lovely pictures of Red Starts. He's been listening to the podcast for about a month, and he only just twigged it was me, which is <laughs> quite funny. And he just says he absolutely loves the podcast. So, um, hi, Andrew. But yeah, I think you've got a little bit of podcast news before we go, haven't you, Yeah, Nick? it was kind of like more, more me news than podcast news. I'm absolutely delighted. I... I think I actually mentioned this in a previous episode that I have joined Green Wings as a tour leader and I've got a few workshops coming up so if you fancy joining me on the Somerset levels for a day of basically finding what we can and taking some pictures and just a very relaxed day I've got a couple of days coming up 15th and 21st of May and there's also going to be a couple more coming up in July which is going to be kind of butterfly grasshopper cricket focused again in Somerset on the Polden Hills but if you're interested or you want a bit more information on those if you go onto my website which is forgottenlittlecreatures.com and go to the blog all my events are listed there and I'm also delighted to be running a couple of events with the RSPB this year. First one's an introduction to macro photography, which will be on the Somerset levels. It is on the 20th of May. And for anyone that watched the Wild Isles episode with the dragonfly roost, we are hoping to include said dragonfly roost 
in that photography workshop obviously dependent on dragonflies actually emerging but we've got you know near enough three weeks till then i've got another one coming up in end of july which is an introduction to wildlife photography as well and i think that's about it really oh i decided to challenge myself gave neil a bit of a shock with this when i sent him the picture of what i was going to challenge myself with i've been doing a lot of drawing and i've decided to challenge myself with a golden eagle so i have started a drawing of a golden eagle it's a far cry from the frogs and snakes it's very different and there's a lot of feathers and it's very brown but if you want to see my progress i I will post it on um, social media until i mess it up and then once i mess it up you won't see it anymore so if you don't see a finished piece it's because it went horribly wrong and apart from that I think the only other thing to say is that we're both going to be at bird fair this year, aren't we, Neil? Yep, all being well. So, <laughs> so I, I will be in the Puffin Marquee with my project and also with my wildlife art. And we're also going to be there with the podcast as well. So we're still working on all the, the details and we'll bring further details in future episodes. But yeah, stay tuned. And if you are coming to bird yeah. fair, please do come seek us out. Go check out my YouTube channel at YouTube forward slash UK Wildlife or One Word. I've got a video on a day out I had photographing and filming frogs and toads, which will probably appeal to many of you, I should think. But yeah, but that's it from us, I think. So uh, see you in the next episode. All right, take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to the UK Wildlife Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast service you use. You can follow us on Twitter at UK Wildlife Pod, or one word. Or on Instagram at UK Wildlife Podcast. And like us on our Facebook page, UK Wildlife Podcast. And you can also post to the UK Wildlife Podcast community group. If you would like to share your wildlife news or sightings with us on Instagram or Twitter, then please tag us in the post and use the hashtag UK Wildlife Podcast. And you can now support us through our Buy Me A Coffee account, which you can find at buymeacoffee.com forward slash UK Wildlife Pod, where you can give us a one-off bit of support or join our membership scheme. Head there to find out more. This episode was edited by Neil Phillips and music is by Oscar Henderson. You can find him on Instagram at oscar.creates.